Okay, everybody, I'm here. I'm here. There you go. I'm, I'm touching the mic. Major faux pas, touching the boom while recording. Uh, hello, welcome everybody. This is Baked and Awake, and uh, I'm your host Steve once again. And I think this is like I don't know, episode sixty-seven somewhere in around there of the podcast. Um, <clears throat> You just heard the torch, so let's take a dab. Together. Check it out. We smoke weed on the podcast. Okay? Baked and awake. You gotta get that right up front. We're stoned. Alright? We're doing our best. Always doing our best. <laughs> Alright. So, yeah, that's your disclaimer. Keep it in mind if you're at work or church or somewhere, you know, where you shouldn't be listening to a cannabis-centric podcast, okay? Um, we'll try to keep it decorous. We do have a little bit of cannabis biz to discuss today, uh, briefly, uh, before we get into our more esoteric uh, subject matter, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, First up, however, I want to say, you know, weed smoking disclaimer out of the way. Thank you, as always, for joining me uh, here for the podcast and uh, for listening, spending any of your valuable time with us uh, here on this podcast plane of existence. I want to thank everybody for your subscriptions and uh, for your more two-way, like, noticeable fashion reviews and really importantly, emails I've been getting lately uh, to, like, belabor it and make it weird. I'm stoked. I'm getting emails from people, okay? And that's really a neat new level to podcast is actually getting a slight bit of engagement here and there. Some of it's coming through in comments on YouTube, which we'll talk about in a moment, but always delighted to get an actual email at my email address. Talk to us at bakedandawake.com. Hit me there anytime. But thank you for those, and uh, I want to share an email with you that I just got uh, a week or so back from somebody uh, who listened to my recent one of my recent shows. And let's, uh, since I don't have, like, express permission to share her real name, let's just call her Heidi. Okay? And Heidi writes, I listened to the Mudflood Deception and Grand Tartaria episode, and I found it interesting. One thing that jumped out at me, you said something about underground cities. And I think that was my reference to deep underground military bases, and things like uh, the Seattle Underground and the Paris Underground and other cities that have famous undergrounds, right? Uh, She says here, you mentioned Syracuse, New York. I've only heard of a subway in Syracuse once in vague terms and nothing else. I heard tell of a fancy restroom in Syracuse that was part of an underground rail system. Is that restroom or did she mean to say restaurant? I'm going to assume she meant restroom and, you know, Restrooms used to be pretty ostentatious at times, and we still have that harkens back to that in some hotel experiences that we go to these days where there's an attendant, you know, in the restroom. So uh, totally possible that there's no mistaking there. Uh, She continues, I was born in Syracuse 58 years ago and grew up in Cicero, Cicero, 10 miles north of downtown. I went to college out of town, moved back to Cicero, I bought a house in Syracuse 20 years ago, so I know Syracuse. Do you have references for a Syracuse subway? I found references to a railroad, and they had snowplows. Also, there was the Underground Railroad. And, you know, uh, she clarifies here a way to get slaves to freedom before the Civil War. So this isn't to say a subway. This was the Underground Railroad. Any info you could give me would be appreciated. Thanks. So... I have only begun just the beginnings of looking into this. Uh, I did email, uh, replied back to this uh, person and thanked them for their email. 
let them know that in my initial perusal, you know, in follow-up to, to their letter, I clicked around a bit and did find a early-ish map of Syracuse dated to uh, the, like, later 1890s. And I think I emailed that link to this person pointing them at that map that did have some features of uh, a rail the rail system coming into town um, shown on that map. It was a pretty reasonably, pretty good quality uh, detailed map that I found. And I think that was in a Syracuse, New York, like state capital uh, archive of some kind. So um, but we're beginning to look into that because it, it seems really interesting to me. And why wouldn't Syracuse, you know, be a part of the country where we would look for clues for Tartarian architecture, uh, leftover remnants, potentially converted, repurposed uh, municipal buildings, university buildings, uh, architecture, things like that. So just was stoked, you know, just stoked to hear somebody had their own wheels begin turning because of a conversation we were having or that we started here on the podcast. So thank you for that email and uh, look for some more follow-up, some additional follow-up from me on Syracuse soon. I'm going to be looking at New York in general and also looking for Uh, As a matter of fact, something related, and that came from a YouTube comment. Uh, One commenter on YouTube on one of my Mud Flood videos mentioned that I should look into uh, something called Star Towers. Okay, so over and above Star Forts, Star Towers. And I do plan to follow up on that. And immediately when, when I read that comment, I thought there's a good chance that that person was referring to towers not unlike the famous and uh, iconic water towers that are on, among other places, I'm sure, but that I grew up with on Long Island, New York, okay, near the beaches there, Jones Beach, Lido Beach in particular were two that I grew up going to fairly frequently with my family, Montauk further out, Fire Island and Montauk out towards the end of the uh, Long Island, and there's and there's like 20 beaches, by the way, all along the, the South Shore or more, and, and you know, fewer more private and smaller beaches along the north shore of Long Island uh, on on the long sides. But those towers are brick and stone in the very uh, typical and recognizable at this point sort of uh, lumped-in style of that red and, red and white uh, alternating colors and patterns that might indicate uh, a power transmission or power processing tower of some kind uh, in the Tartarian understanding, you know, if we're going in that gestalt. Anybody who's not up to speed, go ahead and, you know, wherever you're looking at the podcast, listening to it right now, take a peek at a few episodes back. Scroll up, or if you're on YouTube, take a peek at the rest of that page, scroll down the page, and you'll see an episode about five episodes back where I, I talk about the mud flood in Grand Tartaria, right? Um, the title of the episode specifically was um, The Mud Flood Deception in Grand Tartaria. And the follow-up episode to it was Mud Flood Research Inspiration and Grand Tartaria Resources. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I started warning you guys back then around December 30th that I was going to geek out on this quite heavily for a little while. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to try to stop me if you can, um, which I don't know that you can because <laughs> it's too good. It's too, it's too wild. So anyway, I'm going to look into star towers. I think the star, I think the towers, the water towers on the beaches in, on Long Island are a great place to begin looking because uh, they remind me a lot of the architecture that I see at the star forts as well. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if when I go looking at some maps of that part of the country, I don't see star forts, uh, you know, not far from those locations. So stay tuned and I'll let you know what I see there. Thank you for that comment on YouTube. Thank you for all the comments on YouTube, even the ones sort of challenging me and even like the um, constructive criticism saying speak up and and turn down the music. I will continue to work on my production values and, and mixing levels. That's totally, you know, an area that I struggle with and that, yeah, I appreciate uh, hearing from you guys. I 
do have some things that I can still do equipment wise that will slightly improve uh, sound quality or make it easier for me to manage that properly. I hope that when I edit this uh, and put it out, the sound quality is good. I've been trying to back down some of my levels on the mixer to reduce noise, but that of course requires a little bit more amplification in processing. So anyway, won't belabor it. Thank you for all the feedback, including speak up because that means you're listening. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep it coming. Subscriptions are going up there on YouTube. I think we're at 182 as of today. So i uh, love to see that. And that's way, way up in just the last couple of months. I'm sure we'll be at 200 soon. So by the way, last point about YouTube this week, I did release for this episode, a companion video. Okay, and that's so that's exclusive YouTube content. And the companion video is me peeking at and uh, talking about an atlas that I found in the uh, U.S. National Archives online. Okay, you, anybody can go check these out online. And I encourage all of you to uh, check out this week's show notes, which will have links to absolutely everything I'm about to show you and discuss. But the YouTube uh, video uh, talks about this really cool atlas that we'll go into just a little bit more after we get our uh, cannabis story out of the way, and uh, then we're going to move on to, uh, again, some research on Grand Tartaria and what I'm finding in places like the National Archives, and uh, maybe help point a few of you who might feel inspired to check it out as well in the right direction to do some of your own clicking around on this. Now, I've made light of it and acted like I don't care about it and acted like I can't wait to blow right past this story so that we can talk about wacky stuff like civilization reset conspiracy theories <laughs> uh, and mud flood events and uh, all of that wonderful stuff. There's an incredibly momentous cannabis-related story in the news right now. Uh, it's been in the news for the last few weeks. I have mentioned it in passing and haven't gone into it in super great detail up to this point in time, but I get a nice newsletter from the industry from the folks at Cush Marketplace, a local uh, Washington State uh, buy and sell marketplace that also does a ton of like really sort of community outreach. They have events in addition to their online marketplace that people can get together and network at and I've covered some of those events in the past here on the podcast and they put out a pretty solid I gotta say uh, like newsletter blog right where they hit you with the headlines so this one from Cush Marketplace this week came out just yesterday uh, Tyler Lamont I believe I've met Tyler before at some of the events and uh, they're covering for us the um, S.420 and the Senate Bill 420 that's the Marijuana Revenue and Regulation Act. And yeah, we've talked about this. This is the potential national legalization that people have been waiting for, or a big form of it right here. What does Tyler tell us here as of yesterday? He says, once again, Oregon is fighting the good fight out there for marijuana reform. Ron Wyden, who I believe is a Oregon representative as well, he tweets, new, I introduced S-420 my bill to legalize and responsibly regulate and tax marijuana. It's time to bring our country's marijuana policies into the 21st century, and my legislation is the way to do it. The federal prohibition of marijuana is wrong. This is a second tweet, plain and simple. Too many lives have been wasted and too many economic opportunities have been missed. It's time for Congress to respect the will of voters in Oregon and nationwide who are demanding common-sense drug policies. Okay, uh, so Wyden is also um, also from Oregon. I heard about this story originally uh, when it was, I think, announced by Earl Blumenauer, also from Oregon, and they go on to mention him here a little bit further down. Let me... However, uh, without, you know, reading every single word of this article, let's summarize how this bill looks uh, when it hits the Senate floor. It's in three parts. S-420, S.421, 
and S.422. 420 is called the Marijuana Revenue and Regulation Act. Okay, that one will deschedule marijuana from the Controlled Substance Act, and there will be what they call an imposing tax upon marijuana, and it will be regulated just like tobacco and alcohol. So maybe imposing tax is a bad choice of words. I mean, vice, you know, kind of tax. Uh, maybe that's just the formal term for it. They have a link here to the full text of the bill. All right, now I'm going to give you guys the Kush Marketplace link in the show notes. Now, S.421 is the second part of this bill, responsibly addressing the Marijuana Policy Gap Act. Okay, so this is about the delta between federal law and state law. This one will shorten the gap between federal and state laws by removing criminal penalties with businesses complying with state law and also ensuring access to banking and other financial protections. This is absolutely crucial, this one, okay? Uh, and in a one-sentence rider to this, in the, in the summary, in the summary, okay, I'm sure they have more here in the legislative text, but listen to this one, guys. The bill will also remove barriers for veterans so that they may access medical marijuana. So I guess, you know, this is that big matter of them otherwise being ineligible for all sorts of stuff if they're caught using cannabis for their therapy. So, crucial and may enable access to it that's just been straight up held back up to this point in time. Okay, so then finally, S-422, the Small Business Tax Equity Act. <laughs> that's that tax one. The Small Business Tax Equity Act will give small businesses a fighting chance and be treated and taxed just like a regular business. So, that's a big deal. Um, yeah, there it is. There they mentioned below, not long ago, Earl Blumenauer announced it in a press release that an imminent bill would be filed. That's the story in, in cannabis news nationally right now. I expect it will enjoy wide support. I know we have... Uh, weird old creepers like John Boehner jumping on board in the cannabis lobby these days, you know, old hardline uh, opponents. And I want to say Mitch McConnell helped tip things this direction in allowing this one to get on the floor uh, some in some stupid underhanded way. Like they want to, you know, get a little credit for this as well. So I know it's bipartisan. Uh, we know very well that it's been you know, happening at the grassroots uh, level and at the ground up level for a long time now. And the, you know, the tide is, is just turning and continuing to flow in a good direction for us in, in, on this front. All three aspects of the law that are lined out there are going to be uh, critical. I think what I haven't seen here, but what may be in the full text is the potential for transporting cannabis uh, inventory state to state between legal regions. That's probably one of the last pieces of the puzzle that needs to be spelled out uh, and put sort of in the forefront for us. That's your cannabis news from Kush Marketplace. Check the show notes if you want to know more. I hope you guys are ready to get serious. You probably should roll something. Pack something fresh. Get refresh your see, I need more water. Refresh your beverage. Alright. We're gonna press pause and come right back. And we're getting back in on Grand Tartaria. Alright, we'll see. Maybe I can get a uh, little tea kettle sound effect for you guys for that little break. I didn't make tea, I just got some more ice water. Uh, and gosh darn it. Do I have a lighter up here? It says the guy who owns 400 lighters and is sitting at his desk that should be full of lighters. At least have like 300 lighters. Um, you know what? You know there's a lighter around here. Success. Okay, so we've got one. So, found a great new resource. I hope you guys are ready. Um, taking notes, you got your pencil sharpened. Just kidding, you don't need to. I'm doing that for you, right? Um, 
I've mentioned it already, the U.S. National Archives. Uh, you can literally just, like, Google that, and you'll find the same resource that I went to, and you can search on any pet subject that you want. And I don't purport, you know, to think that this is, like, a comprehensive online representation of available documents about any given subject. I'm just saying, I pondered to myself recently what's available that I can access ongoing uh, at, you know, no cost or little cost, and that has something like the trappings of respectability as regards the kind of source it is. So, you know, this is about as square and straight and mainstream of a curator of information as I can come up with, right? I did a few different searches. Today we're going to talk about my search results from their, you know, internal search bar for some references we found to Tartaria or Tartary. And uh, we'll see how much of it all I, I read today because there's a lot. And this is nothing. This is just, these are just excerpts of the, the docs. The, the longer docs, most all of which, if I'm referencing it here, I've read the full you know, these are letters and, and missives and small essays, uh, in some cases articles going to newspapers that look like editorial style, from people including people who will consider, you know, founding fathers um, type characters uh, here. And so, you know, but we can't read the whole story every time, right? Uh, that said, I want to read... A good chunk of this first letter first off to get us all warmed up for the tone and style of language being used in the in most of these letters of the time these are going to date mostly to the 1700s that i'm finding right now uh, no newer interestingly and no older really um, but of course you get much older than that and we don't have a country to have a national archive of so um this first one though Fascinating letter, and I think I'll read it first, and then I'll give you my possibly superfluous commentary on what I feel like this letter sort of tells us. So this is one of those editorial-type letters. Um, this is in the collection called The Adams Papers. This is an early access document. They have it written all up and down the sides of the page here on the screen. Again, this is an online resource. Founders.archives.gov is where we are. These Adams papers, uh, the author is John Adams, the John Adams. Um, the recipient is the Boston Patriot, and that's a Boston newspaper of the time. Uh, this is dated 18... May of 1809. So yes, yeah, so some of these are early 1800s and some of them are late 1700s uh, docs that we're going to run into today. John Adams says to the, to the paper, Sirs, Mr. Hamilton, meaning Alexander Hamilton, in his pamphlet, page 28, speaking of Talleyrand's dispatches, says, quote, Overtures, so circuitous and informal, through a person who is not the regular organ of the French government for making them, to a person who is not the regular organ of the French government for receiving them, and etc., were a very inadequate basis for the institution of a new mission. Talleyrand's dispatches are famous papers of the time that we have some of which as historical documents as well. And uh, he goes on. Here again. Mr. Hamilton's total ignorance or oblivion of the practice of our own government, as well as the constant usage of other nations in diplomatic proceedings, appears in all its luster. In 1784, 
the Congress of the United States, then sovereign of our country, issued 15 commissions, as I remember. If I mistake the number, Colonel Humphreys can correct me, for he was the secretary of legation to them all, and possesses, as I suppose, the original parchments to John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson, to form commercial treaties with all the commercial powers of Europe and the Barbary states. Our instructions were to communicate these credentials to the ambassadors of these powers at Versailles, not to go to those courts. And we did communicate them in this informal and circuitous manner and received very civil answers. We were not told, if Congress wishes any connections with us, commercial or political, let them send ambassadors directly to our courts. It is inconsistent with our dignity to receive or pay any attention to such indirect, circuitous, and informal overtures. These indirect and circuitous communications, he belabors, <laughs> uh, he does a great job here, as Hamilton calls them, are of established usage and daily practice all over the world. Instances of them without number might be quoted. I shall only recite two or three. The Baron de Thulemere, Thulemere, the first part of his name is like Thule, like the racks, and like the Thule Society, T-H-U-L-E, Thule Meyer, M-I-E-R, yeah, Thule Meyer. Let's go with that. Ambassador from Frederick the Great, King of Prussia, whose name and character Mr. Hamilton affects to admire, wrote me a letter when I was Minister Plenipotentiary in Holland, informing me that he had received the commands of the king, his master, to make me a visit, and communicate something to me as a minister from the United States of America, and desired to know at what hour I would receive him. I wrote him in answer that I would have the honor of receiving him at 12 o'clock of the next day, or if he wished... An earlier interview, I would call on him at his hotel at any hour he should be pleased to indicate. To this I received no answer, but at the hour I had mentioned, His Excellency appeared at my house, in the habiliments, and with the equipage of his ministerial character. He said that the king, his master, had ordered him to visit me and ask my opinion of a connection and treaty between Prussia and the United States of America. What a figure should I have made if I had said, This is all circuitous and informal. Your master, if he wishes a connection, commercial or political with America, must send an ambassador to Philadelphia and propose it to Congress. Yet Mr. Hamilton's doctrine and reasoning would have required this. The king, however, would have expected more sense of propriety, more knowledge of the intercourse of nations, and a more rational answer from a deputy of one of our savage tribes, or of one of the migratory hordes of Africa or Tartary. There's our Tartary reference in this letter. And it's clearly in a, you know, superior sense, from a superior perspective, calling them migratory hordes of Africa and Tartary here, sort of supporting the... Um, more territorial, less empire-seeming historical tartary. We'll conclude here with this one. My answer was, Be pleased, sir, to present my most profound respects to His Majesty and inform him that though I have no commission or instructions to enter into official conferences upon the subject, I am very sensible of the high honor done me by this communication and have no hesitation in expressing my private opinion that such a connection between the United States and His Majesty's dominions would be highly honorable and advantageous. And I had no doubt Congress would be unanimous in these same sentiments. Oh, they have invented periods by this point in time. It's just incredible how long sentences can be. I thought I was the run-on sentence king of the world, but these guys have put me to shame. I'll trail off here with this letter. He has two more 
essay-length examples of informal and circuitous back-channel facilitations between nations here that he just speaks beautifully glibly about. And in my opinion, as has already been amply conveyed by this example and no further, uh, someone such as no less than the famous John Adams is more or less explaining to the Boston Patriot how the world really works. How all the offices and bureaucracy in the world may exist on the front end for appearances and for when it's time to formalize things publicly. But that very important things happen every day that are begun in very casual salons and offices and over dinner amongst connected individuals who are far from the official movers, shakers, drivers, or steering committee. It's something that I thought was a very interesting worldview, to say the least. Uh, And by all means, this letter could be alone. It could be a podcast. It really could. As I said, there's two more full-on examples. <laughs> I mean, and he doesn't even he doesn't even finish with that. He you know he 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 throws a little extra one in on the end. I mean, Adams is you, you'll see here. He's quite droll. That one I thought was wonderful, and it had a Tartary reference as well. Um, and is basically, in my opinion, talking about people who we might today in 2019 call whatever you want to call them. Deep state? Results from this search. So we're going to drop into a little quote here. In the 16th volume of the B, now printing, will be found a very valuable dissertation on the different varieties of sheep he found in the great Tartary and other parts of the Russian dominions he had visited, accompanied with plates done from drawings furnished by him. This dissertation gives a more perfect view of the natural history of this useful animal that I have met with in any other publication. This is to George Washington from James Anderson of Scotland in August of 1793. Another reference. I proceed now to trace the real characters of the proposed executive as they are marked out in the plan of the convention. This will serve to place in a strong light the unfairness of the representations which have been made in regard to it. The first thing which strikes our attention is that the executive authority, with few exceptions, is to be vested in a single magistrate. This will scarcely, however, be considered as a point upon which any comparison can be grounded. For if in this particular there be a resemblance to the King of Great Britain, there is not less a resemblance to the Grand Signior, Signor, to the Khan of Tartary, to the Man of the Seven Mountains, or to the Governor of New York. This was in the Federalist, issue number 691, a New York paper of the time in 1788. That was an open letter to the people of the state of New York, when, uh, whereby they were trying to argue to allow the magistrate a term of four years, I believe, instead of three people were comparing it to a kingship so you know because they could be reelected so next this one's a little bit longer but it's got an interesting context here we have John Adams writing to Thomas Jefferson I'll tell you that up front this time so we'll remember his tone from the other letter um, to the newspaper and he's definitely sort of lamenting some uh, different historians and points of view from history, etc. And this is already like the second or third person he's gone in on in this letter to Jefferson. Oh, and this guy wrote this on Christmas Day in 1813, for whatever reason. Didn't have anything to do with his family that day. So, dot, dot, dot. 
Priestley ought to have told us that Pythagoras passed 20 years in his travels in India, in Egypt, in Chaldea, perhaps in Sodom and Gomorrah, Tyre, and Sidon. He ought to have told us that in India he conversed with the Brahmins and read the Shasta, 5,000 years old, written in the language of the sacred Sanskrits, with the elegance and sentiments of Plato. Where is to be found theology more orthodox or philosophy more profound than in the introduction to the Shasta? God is one, creator of all, universal sphere, without beginning, without end. God governs all the creation by a general providence, resulting from his eternal designs. Search not the essence and the nature of the eternal, who is one. Your research will be vain and presumptuous. It is enough that, day by day, and night by night, you adore his power, his wisdom, and his goodness. In his works the eternal willed, in the fullness of time, to communicate of his essence and of his splendor to beings capable of perceiving it. They as yet existed not. The eternal willed, and they were. So, the eternal willed, and they were. He created Burma, Vitsno, and Sib. These doctrines, sublime if ever there were any sublime, Pythagoras learned in India and taught them to Zaleucus and his other disciples. He there learned also his metempsychosis. But this never was popular, never made much progress in Greece or Italy or any other country besides India and Tartary, the region of the grand immortal Lama. So that seemed interesting to me because this is the second or third time I've seen Tartary and a Lama mentioned. We'll see it somewhere else in another doc here today. Um, so, you know, it makes me think of the Dalai Lama. Tibet, right? So, anyway. And how does this differ from the possessions of demons in Greece and Rome, from the demon of Socrates, from the worship of cows and crocodiles in Egypt and elsewhere? After migrating through various animals, from elephants to serpents, according to their behavior. Souls that at last behaved well became men and women. And then, if they were good, they went to heaven. All ended in heaven if they became virtuous. Well, he had Christmas on the mind that day, right? <laughs> Cool letter. Here's another one. I am led from an examination of the Tartary ginseng, which still sells for nearly its weight in gold, to conclude that this country produces two species of ginseng. They're spelling it G-E-N-S-E-N-G -E -E here. One of them nearly equal quality to the Tartary ginseng, provided proper pains were taken to gather it in due season and taken in properly, drying it. But this, I think, cannot take place at present, as the trade is on the decline. Uh, this is uh, to Alexander Hamilton from one Thomas Randall in August of 1791. Next up. I said Mr. Oswald's attestation was sufficient, as he had already shewn me his original. He sat down, and we fell into conversation about the weather and the vapors and exhalations from Tartary, which had been brought here last spring by the winds and given us all the influenza. What? That's an interesting sentence. We've got the date, too. We'll get to it in a second, but uh, that would be an event that I'd like to look into 
a little closer and see if we could find any other reports of a miasma coming from Tartary and floating over people somewhere in North America here. He continues, Thence to French fashions and the punctuality with which they insist upon people's wearing their clothes in spring and fall, though the weather is ever so cold, and etc. I said it was often carried to ridiculous lengths, but that it was at bottom an admirable policy, as it rendered all Europe tributary to the city of Paris for its manufactures. This was John Adams again, our friend Adams, prolific Adams, uh, to the Boston Patriot once again, and that was in 1811, June of 1811. I just think those are both interesting statements, a statement about the vapors and exhalations from Tartary brought here last spring by the winds and given us all the influenza. Was that what? Was that a disease? Was that a event that had like a, I don't know, what what travels by the wind like that radiation fallout kind of thing? I don't know. We didn't have a bomb in 1811, right? So, uh, And then French fashions, like being insisted upon in spring and fall, uh, you know, carried to ridiculous lengths. You know, it's an at bottom an admirable policy. It almost sounds like it really was like being handed down like you will appear in public in this fashion, you know, or suffer some sort of censure. Uh, it was wild. I don't know. Tell me if I'm tripping there. Maybe that's just the weed talking, right? Speaking of which, take a puff. Do, 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 take a puff. Can't wait for the YouTube comment about smoking too much weed on my fucking pot-related podcast. Suck it! Just having fun, everybody. Sorry, I love you guys. You can you can give me as much shit as you want. It's fine. I don't care. Just say something. Just let me know you're listening, right? Okay, so. Another one. Good one. A little bit longer. Not bad. The separation of America from Asia is between the 60th and 70th degree of north latitude, precisely at the Arctic Polar Circle. It is called in the French maps... Detroit du Nord, the northern strait or strait of the north. It is near the Archipel du Nord or northern archipelago. The point of land in Asia is under the dominion of Russia and is called Russian Tartary. The strait forms the communication between the eastern and the frozen oceans, the Mer Oriental and the Mer Glacial. There's a number of islands in the archipelago and one in the strait itself called on the map, Alakshka Island. There is a sea and a promontory called Kamskatska, situated on the eastern ocean within 10 or 12 degrees of the strait. The three Tartaries, Independent Tartary, Chinese Tartary, and Russian Tartary, form a vast country, extending from Persia, Indistan, and China to the point of Asia at the Straits of the North which divide Asia from America. This, again, from the diary of John Adams, who at this point we can begin to wonder if he wasn't a little bit Tartary fixated himself. This was uh, 1783, and uh, link in the show notes to that doc, because there's more in that doc, of course. But those were the references to Tartary in it all in one, in one slap. Next up, the project of conquering the provinces of Albany, Romelia, Wallachia, Moldavia, and Little Tartary from the Turks, and dividing them between the two empires may be more probable, but the Turks in Asia and Europe together are very powerful, and if thoroughly awakened, might make a great resistance. From John Adams to Robert Livingston. Uh, 1783. So, it was definitely on his mind in 1783. Next up. Robertson 
evidently regards the descent of the Greenlanders from a Norwegian colony of the 9th century as possible, and either that colony or a prior one as the most probable origin first of them and then of the Eskimos. Krantz, whom he quotes, and who merits the praises you give him, states, I observe the fact, of a northern, excuse me, of a Norwegian colony in the 9th century, and in another place observes that there was no evidence that Greenland had inhabitants of any sort when first visited by the Norwegians. But he considers it most probable that the present Greenlanders are derived from the Eskimos and that the latter came from the Norden. It's N-O-R-T-N, Norden. Norden, probably northern because it's northern Tartary. Okay, so there's our Tartary reference in this, in this one. Entering the American continent on the northwest coast and spreading eastwards over the north. Uh, yeah, I think these are just like typos in the original doc. So, spreading eastwards over the north region in which they are now found. This opinion is at least more rational than that of Robertson, as is shown by your striking contrast of the Greenlanders with the Norwegians. Is it not possible that the Greenlanders and Eskimos may, like many other people, have a compound origin, made up of Samoyeds, the nearest of the northern Tartars, of Laplanders, who were driven, according to some accounts, from the coast of Norway by their Gothic successors, and of colonies from these last, facilitated by the interjacent island of Iceland. From these different sources, they may have obtained their Tartar features, their Lapland stature, and their approach towards Gothic or Teutonic complexions. Uh, for once, this wasn't John Adams. This was actually James Madison to one Benjamin Henry Latrobe, I believe of the Canadian brewing family, uh, 1818. Okay, uh, so we've seen letters from 1811, which is right around 18, the 1812 event, right? Uh, War of 1812 and the potential, you know, we, a lot of people think one of the mud floods, if there was multiple mud floods, may have happened right around 1812. Um, here we are in 1818, and James Madison is sort of talking... You know, uh, he's not talking eugenics, but he's talking like genealogy and anthrop you know, uh, half-assed anthropology of the time, and trying to trace the lineage of these people. And in a couple different ways, he's pointing backwards, hearkening backwards towards Tartars. I found it interesting, and there's stuff there that a person could dig in on. You can find more of these papers from Madison, I'm sure. Madison and Latrobe. Because I think they had a series of letters between each other. They were friends. Next up, the Lama of Tartary has taken up his residence in England. We have all the expense of monarchy without the splendor. To John Adams. From Thomas Brand Hollis. On the 6th of June, 1789. Uh, so that one was interesting to me because, again, we got that llama reference, right, in Tartary. So the only other llama I really have ever known about was the Dalai Lama. Um, and we have the llama of Tartary. Parts of Tartary are not far from, uh, you know, Tibet. And I think we've seen Tibet pointed out as potentially uh, tied in with the Tartarian mythologies uh, at any rate. Um, he's What's interesting to me here is this mention of a llama taking up his residence. He's not visiting. He's not vacationing. He's he's residing in England. So that sounds, again, a little bit like the Dalai Lama who lives in exile. Um, here's a, at least a Lama at large in England with all the expense of monarchy without the splendor. So, you know, he's somebody of importance. Thought that was a cool one. Uh, let's see here. Here we go. Next up. In your letter to Nolan, I think you hinted that horses are found nowhere in a wild state but in America. I some time ago by accident stumbled on a work entitled Voyages aux Peoples Samsoides. Really weirdly spelled and with a, like a weird compound O-E character. In which mention is made of some found wild in Siberia or in Tartary. 
They are represented as small, exceedingly fleet, and hard to catch, living on the borders of the settlements and of great injury to the inhabitants by the destruction of their crops. Probably they eat them and run them over and stuff. <laughs> um, I paid no attention to the thing at the time, but if the book falls again in my way, I shall forward it to you, as it may contain other particulars on the same subject, which I do not recollect. The title may, however, be sufficient for you to procure it. Uh, to Thomas Jefferson from Daniel Clark in November 1799. Uh, I thought that was cool, and those horses sound a lot like what I've heard Icelandic horses are like. Um, small, tough, fast, uh, little, hardy critters, and these ones sound like they were coming from the north there, Siberia, etc., Siberia or in Tartary. Um, yeah, there you go for that one. Here's another interesting one. Um, this one is also a John Adams. It is most likely descended from people bred towards the Tropic of Cancer, for they retain memory of some stars on that part of the celestial globe as the North Star, which they call Mask, Mask, M-A-S-K-E, in which their language signifies a bear. They divide the winds into eight parts, have had some literature among them, which time hath cancelled. I found that really interesting. But what traces of it he perceived, Mr. Morton, further saith not. Okay, what does that mean? He then reprobates the conjecture that they came from Tartary over the frozen sea. This is John Adams to Thomas Jefferson. All right, J.A. to T.J. in 1813. All right, not 1812, 1813. But yeah, so he's, again... Speculating about the uh, descent and origins of certain people. He is citing the knowledge that they have of certain things that would strongly indicate uh, that they came from somewhere else originally, that they had that uh, awareness and knowledge of a spot that they should not have had explicit awareness of in the sky, the night sky, for example, and some other key points. Then he references literature that they know they had, but that time hath canceled. And then someone named Morton, who refuses to say further what other traces of it he might perceive. So, if Morton found remnants, he has chosen not to pass them on or restore them to readability. And then, and then goes on to reprobate the conjecture that they came from Tartary over the frozen sea. So, Morton's not having it is what Adams is telling Thomas Jefferson. He doesn't want to hear it. And he's rejecting that story and, if anything, not letting us look deeper into the subject. At least not in his library. Crazy. All right, so, next up. Yeah, we're not even done. It's crazy. We're close, though. We have the pleasure of acquainting the world that the famous Chinese or Tartarian plant called Ginseng, spelled correctly here, but in kind of a weird gin space seng uh, fashion, is now discovered in this province near Sasquahana. From whence several whole plants and a quantity of the root have been lately sent to town, and it appears to agree most exactly with the description given of it in Chambers' Dictionary and Père Duhald's account of China. The virtues ascribed to this plant are wonderful. Extracts from the Gazette, 1738. Uh, so that's the last one, and I included it. It was a little anticlimactic after those last couple cool ones from John Adams and stuff, but they explicitly mention China here. Previously, we see them explicitly mention these same, some of these same characters, some of these same dudes, mention parts of Scandinavia, Russia, Alaska. So parts of the world, uh, Turkey, you know, all of these are all lining up with everything the much more esteemed, legit researchers like Phil Druzhenin and uh, Richard Lopez and uh, Flat Earth British, uh, Martin, um, Static in the Attic, uh, John Daly. I'm just giving everybody shout outs because you guys are all amazing. Sylvie uh, at uh, the New Earth Channel. Um, everybody. UAP, homie, kills it. Everybody I just mentioned, go back. Go slow. Rewind them if you need to or email me. Talk to us at bakedandawake.com. I'll put them all in the show notes. You know me. All right? I'll do what I can for you. I'll throw 
everybody I just mentioned there in the show notes because all of them have amazing YouTube channels with way better content than me on this. Um, I mean, they're video guys and gals. Um, doing my best, like I say, loving this topic. Please go watch the 10-minute video that I showed you uh, that I put out on YouTube last night about this. It's a companion video, as I mentioned, to this episode where I show you uh, some of uh, a very small bit of this crazy atlas called the Mole Atlas. Okay, now, um, and let me just make sure I haven't been talking to myself, thank God, for the last almost hour. Um, and we're right about hitting an hour, so I'm going to try to wrap it up for you guys. We'll probably go just over. Um, but the Mole Atlas found also in the National Archive. I'm going to do a lot more digging on this and try to find better copies of it or try to find additional plates of it, but I was able to find several plates of this Mole Atlas uh, in the National Archive and uh, have saved almost all of them, if not all of them, to my Google Drive. And if I haven't, I'm about to when I finish this episode so that I have them for myself and for everybody else. Uh, so if for some reason you're like out of country and like stuck behind a firewall or something weird like that and you can't directly access something like the U.S. National Archive. Email me. Talk to us at bakedandwake.com once again, right? Uh, go visit the website, bakedandwake.com. You can make one-time donations there anytime. You can jump on the Tee Public site and grab some merch and, and have some fun by repping the pod if you're if you're loving the pod. And then in those cases, uh, you can help me reach new listeners just by wearing or using that merch and letting conversations get started around the, oh, what's that all about? What's that coffee mug, dude? Um, kind of scene. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, you know, a buck or two from all those purchases go to us, go to me directly to keep, you know, the lights on on the podcast, right? Listen to the news brief that's available on all the same podcatching platforms that um, the Baked and Wake podcast is on, and I'm, I'm a little bit behind on it the last few days due to snow and goofing around on uh, motorcycles in the snow. I put, I made my own studded tires for one of my motorcycles, and uh, I've been out running around in the neighborhood in the uh, Seattle snow apocalypse 2019. Uh, I might as well say that out loud and, and capture that, uh, you know, fully for the posterity of the episode. That's what's been the uh, theme around here for the last few days is snow, snow, and more snow as I'm standing, sitting here in my... Uh, room upstairs recording right now I can look out the window and I still see you know over 10 inches we had more like 15 inches over the last you know four or five days uh all came down I've been clearing roofs of my little greenhouses in the backyard like crazy I've been star I was starting to get worried the carport was going to collapse and I'm glad to say that uh is fine but our hedge in the front yard obliterated it's uh the snow was so heavy and wet um what do they call it cascade cement something like that yeah cascade concrete i don't know we get we get real heavy wet snow and it's raining now that's how it melts so i guess we're gonna get all flooded and wet and soggy next so should be a good time but yeah go check out the video on the mole atlas it's on youtube subscribe on youtube if you haven't already help me hit 200 subscribers that would be rad you know, like and comment on those videos so people see some interaction on the video that just, first off, that blows me away and I love it. Um, let me know how I did, good, bad, or indifferent. When you look at that video about that atlas, you're going to see some weird stuff right away. Uh, I mentioned in the video that it comes from a uh, interesting blog called The Unwritten Record from the National Archives. So that's an interesting title for the blog in the first place, The Unwritten Record coming from the people who are supposed to have the written record, all right? And then up top, in blue, in like a banner, it says, Exploring History with the National Archives Special Media Division. What is that? <laughs> and what's special media? Why do you have a special media division? What's the unwritten record? And then we get the Mole Atlas. And, and then here's the thing. They tell you about the Mole Atlas. They tell you it's not complete. They tell you that it couldn't all be scanned. Why? Why couldn't it all be scanned? They don't tell you why it couldn't all be scanned. So it's incomplete because some of it couldn't be scanned. It's damaged, right? Uh, they show us an image, a downloadable, savable, you know, keepable image that is the index page to the Mole Atlas. And as I'll show you in the video, there's a chunk literally like exacto bladed right out of this page right under section 30, plate 30, 
that is supposed to be an historical map of the Roman Empire and the adjoining nations, and etc. And as I show you in that video, each of these sections and this entire map is it's kind of like half map, half encyclopedia. It's a very powerful document that was intended to obviously allow uh, powerful communication and education about different parts of the world. This may have been a uh, map that could be used for limited navigation, although I do believe that, you know, it would have been very customary even at this time to have much more detailed, higher resolution maps in sections, you know, of all the regions that you're going through. This map, this atlas was built in sections and plates, of course. And interestingly, you know, there's an old saying, and it's a funny saying that comes up in Tartarian research is that, you know, nothing is new under the sun, right? Um, even in this map, you can see uh, on the video that it has a lot of the features that a modern like map, like Google Maps would have. It, it includes metadata about almost every area aside from the raw location, you know, on the ground. So uh, I think it was, a, it was a fun video to make. It's an incredible document. I want to make those documents super available to anybody. So like I've said, email me. All right. Uh, get at me however you want. And I'll document share with you. I'll email them over to you. I have a few different you know, ways of getting it to you, or simply I can share the link with you to my Google Drive if you want, or point you at the archive. So you can go see it there at the original source and go click around and see what else you can find in there as well. Maybe you see something else in these docs that then you want to search in the archives and see if you can get a result on. That's what I'm hoping to do with this conversation is bring up this tool that I think was immensely valuable. I point out that uh, even our old founding fathers talk about backroom dealings and secret handshakes and friends in low places getting jobs done. And I'd love to talk to anybody more about that. Um, and if, if we want to talk about that letter and, you know, read the rest of it and go into its import as a standalone anytime, that would be an interesting one. But it's not, you know, it's just one piece of the puzzle here. I think each of those excerpts that I read may have nuggets of potential further threads to like dig in on, right? To, to pull at. Um, and that's, you know, what I'm trying to show here is that maybe there's more out there than we think about this. We just need to sort of leverage the power of the web that we do have. Cause I mean, I'm already, you know, not, I haven't hit my buffer for how much material I've run into already. This is the beginning of searching, and I'm finding tons of stuff and interesting and juicy stuff. And then I'm seeing maps with redacted index pages and shit <laughs> and funny provenances and, you know, an amazing and important atlas of the world that apparently was sold for close to 100 years. But now today we have almost none of them. And the only one that's in the National Archives is a bad copy that has a missing chunk out of the index page and other missing plates. Who's got another one? Do you have a copy of the Mole Atlas that's complete? Holler at your boy. Let me know. Love to see it. Uh, okay, everybody. I think you're getting the point. We're going to keep looking at Tartaria. We're going to try to find more cool docs like this. If I can find something really juicy, I will. Oh, I, I, am, I emailed the University of Washington Library because I did find a reference to a Tartarian history book. Uh, so I found that in the archives, and and somehow it like linked out and showed me that I could find it at, at a local library. The UW Library has there's a couple copies in the state that seem like it's like a scan or something, uh, or a microfiche of this book. But it is called Zengis. Uh, well, the author I think is Zengis, a Tartarian history, one volume. And I think it came from the Mille de la Roche Gilheim Library, but um, it's. Uh, I think the book dates from 1692, so I know I'm not getting a real copy of this book in my hands, but I think it's in English. I think it's about Tartarian history, and I think they have a scan of it in the UW archives, so I'm going to try, even though I'm not a student or affiliated with the uh, university, to see if I can check out or go and view the, that file. So I've got an email out to them. They already auto-responded to me, so we'll see if we get a live person response soon, right? Um, 
and we'll just keep going. We'll keep digging. We'll keep trying to find old books and things as well. Uh, more docs online, PDFs and things, scans of things. I think that's it for, for this week, everybody. Uh, have a wonderful Valentine's Day. Hope you got somebody to celebrate that with. Just love on somebody. Love on anybody tomorrow. You can. Just in a, you know, in a totally platonic and consensual way. Okay. Be good. I want to hear from you. Let me know what you think of this topic. Let me know what else you want to hear about and learn about. More garden updates coming soon for sure, too. We're always doing stuff in the garden, and the greenhouse survived the snowstorm, so we're still doing our thing. All right, you guys. We'll talk to you real, real soon. You know what I need you to do? Smoke yourself some indica. And remember to do shit anyway. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits.